This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is Fresh Air. I'm Tanya Mosley. Mark Ruffalo has been nominated for an Oscar for the Best Supporting Actor category for his role in the movie Poor Things, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. He spoke with our producer, Sam Brigger, about that role in his career last week. Here's Sam with more. In Poor Things, Mark Ruffalo plays a character described in the movie as a cad and a rake. His name is Duncan Wedderburn, and he seduces Emma Stone's character, Bella Baxter, to run away from her home and fiancé and have an adventure with him in Lisbon. Let's hear a scene. You're a prisoner, and I aim to free you. Something in you, some hungry being, hungry for experience, freedom, touch, to see the unknown and know it. So why am I here, you ask? I'm going to Lisbon on Friday. I'd like you to come. Lisbon of Portugal. That is the Lisbon I speak of. God never allow it. So I'm not asking him. I'm asking you. Well, I'm not safe with you, I think. You are absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> In that scene, Duncan Wedderburn is looking at Bella Baxter like a cartoon cat who's trapped the canary. What he doesn't realize is that Bella Baxter is no ordinary young innocent to corrupt. She is in fact the result of a Frankenstein-like experiment by a scientist, played by Willem Dafoe, who reanimated a dead woman's body by replacing her brain with the brain of her unborn baby. Bella goes through a rapid awakening to the world around her and to her own body, and like an infant who doesn't yet know society's norms, is uninhibited to a degree that both attracts Wedderburn and undoes him. Mark Ruffalo's performance in Poor Things is hilarious and delicious, and he himself describes it as a big departure from his previous work in movies like Zodiac, Spotlight, Foxcatcher, The Kids Are Alright, You Can Count On Me, and of course, several Marvel movies and TV shows where he plays the Incredible Hulk. Well, Mark Ruffalo, welcome back to Fresh Air. Thanks, Sam. It's, it's uh, really nice to be here. It's nice to have you. Um, you said you had some trepidation about taking on this role. What were your concerns? Well, um, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't really played anything like this, and I hadn't done an accent. I hadn't really done uh, any kind of a period piece. And, you know, you sort of, you have a career going and, and you sort of you get a brand and uh, mistakenly you, you start to believe maybe that's that's who you are. Or that's how the world wants to see you. And, uh, and I, you know, I really wanted to be great in a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Uh, and so I said to him, <laughs> it's ridiculous now, but <laughs> I said to him, uh, Yorgos, I, I, I want to work with you. I, I love you. I don't want to suck in your movie. <laughs> and I don't know if, I can, if I'm the right guy for this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so did he have to convince you? It didn't take very much. He he just 
he just laughed at me. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> you're him. <laughs> and he, he just refused to even entertain my trepidation. Well, it, it is such a fun role. Like once you accepted it, did you have fun doing it? Oh, my God. It was such a blast. It was, it was so freeing. And you, know, you, don't, you don't realize where a certain role is going to take you. They all take you on kind of a journey, you know. And they all sort of, if you let them talk to some part of you, um, some, somewhere you are, somewhere you want to be, or something that's you know, maybe on your mind subconsciously. And um, it was really about just being free. You've been in like romantic comedies, and you've been in in movies that have comedic elements, like like the Brothers Bloom, or and even in the Avengers movies. But I don't think you've ever had a role that is so broadly comic as this one. I mean, you even do a pratfall at one point. So, can you just sort of compare what it's like to act in something that's comedic like this compared to your more like dramatic roles? Uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, even in the dramatic roles, I've, I feel like I've, I've always kind of had one foot on a banana peel and the other in the grave, you know, <laughs> it's like, I just, I see that as like the aesthetic that I, I want to, um, you know, that I'm, is my North star, if I could find a way of doing it. Um, but to just do all out comedy that's so physical and I, that pratfall is such an interesting thing because um you know in in comedy and what i find is that you, you have to be you have to be very open to play and it's 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 not an inner thing it's it's this open thing and it happens in this kind of special space that's outside yourself and so you have to be very open and aware and ready to grab whatever's being given to you and then play with it and that pratfall i I think it's the one you're talking about when i come up the stairs yeah yeah you're almost like skating up the stairs like your arms are going back and forth and then at the the landing you just go flop over (laughs) and that was an accident oh it was (laughs) yes and it was like but that's the thing like if you're really in if you're in the flow of comedy the accidents are the gold those are the gifts from god you know there's another moment in the movie where duncan farts when uh (laughs) max mccandless comes in to confront him right Right. And that was that was like the acting gods just filled my belly with gas. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, here we go. <laughs> and poor Rami looked at me. He was so outraged and like humiliated. And it was it was just the perfect it was like, oh, we're into the scene. And it was literally that one take was the take that, that, that Yorgos used. But uh, I, I guess why I'm telling you that is like, what, you know, great comedy is something that happens spontaneously and is, is playful. And uh, that's, that's, I mean, the same thing happens with, with drama. But, you know, people are so much more well-behaved around drama. So those those moments, you know, I can't lift I can't lift my my butt up and you know let one rip in, in you know spotlight or foxcatcher, you know maybe foxcatcher, but nowhere else. 
<laughs> the character in the movie is described as a cad and a rake, and he's disreputable, but he's definitely working like within the boundaries of society. Um, and he's challenged and finally undone by um, Emma Stone's like complete uninhibitedness. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting uh, character in that way because he wants to project himself as the freewheeling, free-loving, uh, libertine centralist. But really, at his core, he's incredibly conventional. Um, he's very conventional in, in his idea of a man's uh, place in the world and a woman's place in the world. And we see somebody whose whole projection of his personality comes undone when those concepts are really put to test by love. Mm -hmm. Whatever she strikes in him that he supposes is love, whatever version of love he can get closest to. And we see that he's... He's actually incredibly fragile, and he's actually incredibly um, needy, and he's actually incredibly um, uh, vulnerable. Well, let's let's hear a clip of him sort of <laughs> getting undone by uh, Emma Stone's behavior. This this scene takes place. Um, the two characters have been put ashore in France and Paris. Uh, penniless and you're completely dispirited. And Bella Baxter, Emma Stone's character, decides to go find money. And so she prostitutes herself to get money <laughs> and then comes back eating like pastries. I can't remember. It's an eclair. Yeah, an eclair, eating eclair. And you're like, where did this come from? So let's, let's hear some of that scene. I took his money. I thanked him. I laughed all the way to buy these eclairs. And I thought so fondly, remembering the beer sweaty nights of ours. For money. And as an experiment. And it is good for our relationship as it gladdens my heart toward you. My heart has been a bit dim on your weedy, sweary person lately. You are a monster, a horn of monster, a demon sent from hell to rip my spirit to shreds, to punish my tiny sins with a tsunami of destruction to take my heart and pull it like toffee to ruin me. I look at you and I see nothing but ugliness. That last bit was uncalled for and makes no sense. As your odes to my beauty have been boring but constant, and the simple act erased all that. <laughs> you, you hoard yourself. What you are now going to explain to me is bad. Can I never win with you? It is the worst thing woman can do. We should definitely never marry. I'm a flawed, experimenting person, and I will need a husband with a more forgiving disposition. <laughs> That's Mark Ruffalo and Emma Stone in Poor Things. As Mark Ruffalo's character, Duncan Wedderburn, uh, sort of falls apart <laughs> in just the onslaught of Emma Stone's uninhibitedness. So, you know, there's a sex scene montage in Poor Things that I wanted to talk to with you about. Like, you've done sex scenes before, but this is sex played for comedy. Like, it's mm -hmm. not supposed to be sexy. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's meant to make the audience laugh. 
I mean, the characters are having a good time, but it's filmed to look awkward and rutting, and your character's even wearing a corset. Um, so can, can you talk about, like, doing that kind of scene for comedy? The only time you want to do that kind of scene is if it's for comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so... It's just so horrible and awkward, <laughs> and it's so horrible and awkward for everybody else. And then you add in the intimacy coordinator who's, like, literally giving you the thumbs up from behind the camera, you know, or giving you notes on your technique. Um, <laughs> so we knew that was going to be a montage. At one point, we were talking about trying to do every position in the Kama Sutra. <laughs> But there's like 110 now. I think they, you know, oh, when you see that, when, yeah, when you see the helicopter or the, um, you know, the, the 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 rowboat, you know, you're like, okay, they didn't come up with that in a Kama Sutra time, you know. Right. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, to do that and to have in mind the comedy, there's a lot. You could do a lot of comedy with sex scenes, you know. I mean, they're already like kind of comic just by themselves. So, Mark, I have to ask you about the big green guy. Um, yeah. Since uh, since 2012, you've been playing the Incredible Hulk and, and, as I said, you know, a bunch of different Marvel movies and TV shows, starting with the first Avengers movie. Um, so, you know, by in 2012, like, there were just a lot of superhero movies out there and a lot of really good actors were being swept up in them, like particularly Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man. But, like, did you ever think you were going to play a superhero? Honestly, not in my wildest dreams <laughs> did I ever see myself coming from, you know, You Can Count on Me or um, even a, a romantic comedy, uh, 13 Going on 30, uh, or In the Cut uh, right. to to doing a superhero movie. But, you know, you mentioned Ro- Robert, Robert, Robert revolutionized the sort of tentpole studio film and really the industry by his performance in uh iron man um and they took a a big you know swing with him and it really paid off but what robert did was he created a space for really complex indie actors to come into these big you know spectacle films and and ground them in really wonderful character work to play the hulk you have to spend a lot of time um acting in a motion capture suit like did you have Mm. any apprehensions about doing that i hated it (laughs) it's the man canceling suit you know it makes you look big everywhere you want to look small and small everywhere you want to look big you know it's just like it's the most humiliating thing in the world i had a little um loincloth made for it at at, at one point as the years went on you know because it's just so not modest and so so you know you're it's the most vulnerable thing in the world, you know. As as an actor, you, you know, you you learn to love a costume. You you, you learn to, to hide behind props. You learn to, you know, f- sink into a set and and lose yourself in the world. But when you're in green screen, and you know, it's just you, mm-hmm. and you're naked, and it's all your imagination. You have to put things there that aren't there. You have to play off people that aren't there. 
you have to use props that aren't there. This is in the beginning. It's it's changed quite a bit now, but but you know what I found that all the theater training that I had, you know, you walk onto a stage and you're in a black box basically. You have to you have to really develop your imagination to make that place a forest or a castle or you know uh, a, a desolate uh, landscape in you know Samuel Beckett's mind of nowhere and no place and uh, and make that real and, and something that you can live off of. So, in a lot of ways, this ancient technology that I'd been so versed in actually actually was was the best preparation for this new modern thing that was happening. That's really interesting. Um, what about like just in terms of being expressive with your face? Because, you know, your face is obviously a big tool for an actor. Were you were you concerned that you would be doing all this work and it wouldn't be accurately captured by the animation? I, I was. You know, it, you know, what was amazing in the beginning was you couldn't shoot the body portion and the face portion at the same time. So I was locked down. You literally could not move your head and they would capture your facial gestures in this orb and you couldn't move your head. And I was such a physical actor and I, it's all connected, you know? And I just found that to be incredibly difficult and, and even frustrating. And as the technology moved along and, and I, I was developing it with them. I was telling them my experience. I was, you know, saying this would be better if we could do this. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're working on that. To, to now where I can walk on a set in my motion capture suit, I could play with the other actors. I could pick up props. I could do everything that you were not allowed to do in the beginning. And it's just taken this huge technological leap. What about the celebrity from being part of the Marvel Universe? Like, by the time you you started being the Incredible Hulk. Like, you were already a very well-known and successful actor. But was the celebrity and the recognition sort of exponentially different? Oh, my God. I mean, (laughs) I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't well-known in comparison. I, uh, it was, it was a radical change in, you know, every way that I live publicly. Um, I do lament the loss of being able to observe the world without it observing me back uh, <laughs> or being being the one observed. Uh, uh, but, you know, it's... It's this, you know. It's like everything. It, it, it's it's a blessing and it, it's a it's a curse at, at once. Does it take away from like simple things like walking down the street or like going for a hike or something? It can. Um, you know, I I did have developed this incredible way. If I'm by myself, I could pretty much disappear. Um, especially in New York. I mean, no, no one looks at each other in New York. You, you know, they just, it's so, we're so on top of each other that everyone wants to give each other their space and they want their space uh, in an emotional sense. And so that means not looking people in the face or the eyes. You know, you'd be on the subway and there's a hundred people there and not one person's, 
you know, unless they know each other or they're a tourist, is looking at anybody else. You know, they got their head down there on the phone or in the book, sleeping, whatever. Do you have to do like the cap and sunglasses thing all the time? I'll do that. Um, or, you know, I'll wear such a ridiculous hat or like, <laughs> you know, my glasses are so ridiculous that people are embarrassed to look at me. <laughs> it's like, a, it's like, a, you know, a camouflage of, of unsightliness. <laughs> well, let's take another break here. If you're just joining us, my guest is Mark Ruffalo. He's been nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for his role in the movie Poor Things. We'll be back after a short break. I'm Sam Brigger, and this is Fresh Air. This message comes from NPR sponsor Stearns & Foster. To Stearns & Foster, your comfort is their everything. So they've made a mattress that's irresistible inside and out. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted. Every stitch, every layer uses the finest materials like indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for the coziness you want with the support you need. Timeless quality for your most comfortable sleep. Stearns & Foster, what comfort should be. More at stearnsandfoster.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and gives personalized recommendations based on the homes that you like so you can find the home that's just right for you. You can favorite homes, share listings with others, and even schedule tours with a local Redfin agent all in the app. When you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process, and they know how to help you win the right home at the right price. So download the Redfin app to get started today. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Noom. Noom understands that not everyone is starting from the same place and takes that into account. With their first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, you can find a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. I'm Fresh Air's Anne-Marie Baldonado, here with a promo for the latest Fresh Air Plus bonus episode. It was just odd, I think, to be singing that song when I was so young. And the meditation was so big, it seemed like I hardly scratched the surface of it, so I never felt it was really successful. That's recent Grammy winner Joni Mitchell talking about her song Both Sides Now with Terry Gross in 2004. You can hear more from this interview and three different versions of that song by joining Fresh Air Plus at plus.npr.org. This is Fresh Air. I'm Sam Brigger. My guest is Mark Ruffalo. He's been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his role in Poor Things. Some of his other movies include Spotlight, Foxcatcher, The Kids Are All Right, Zodiac, and You Can Count on Me. He has, of course, also played the Incredible Hulk in many Marvel movies and TV shows. Mark, to prepare for this interview, I I watched a lot of your films, and I I watched this trio of films that you did, which are all based on historical events. There's actually some sort of similarity between them. This is Zodiac, Foxcatcher, and Spotlight. And I read that for two of those movies, the people you were portraying were still alive, and you got to spend time with them, got to know them. And this was Dave Toskey, who was one of the detectives investigating the Zodiac killings. And then for Spotlight, you spent time with one of the reporters who was investigating the sexual abuse in the Catholic Church, uh, Mike Resendiz. So when you're portraying a historical figure, an actual person, like how much of an effort do you make to try to be as much like them as possible? Um, let's stick with Mike Resendiz. Like how much, how much time did you spend with him? Oh, days. 
and you know we became we became we became friends and i asked that he if it was okay for him to be with us while we were shooting and obviously he's so invested in it uh he was actually a filmmaker uh first he went to afi in the screenwriting program and he just became this invaluable reference for all of us um but i i went to the globe the first day you know, I had my phone uh, camera and uh, I had my notepad and and I just said, hey, I, I really just, you know, like to um, sit down and watch you work and watch you, you know, work the phones and, and uh, you know, just watch you do what you do. And if you don't mind, I'd like to, you know, shoot a little bit of it. And, and he's like, uh, uh, okay, uh... <laughs> I'm not really used to that. Uh, I'm usually the one who's uh, doing the questions and, uh, you know, the recording. But, uh, yeah, okay. And I, it's funny because I know, I know what this process is now. People, they come to you and they're nervous and they're afraid in a way. And then they start to slowly get to know you and they start to open up and they feel safe and they realize that you're just there trying to do right by them and um eventually they show you who they are and uh, but mike didn't take very long <laughs> and you know i saw him working those phones and, and he had a little bit of a temper sometimes too which i also just loved you know and um after that we usually have to have a drink with somebody for really for them to feel safe with you uh, that's what i found and uh after you have a drink with them all of a sudden you know, it's like, okay, we shared the wine, we broke the bread, let's, but we could be real. Well, what were some of the mannerisms that you saw that you tried to emulate in your performance? Um, certain people have, a, you know, tension in their bodies in certain places, or and, and it makes them move a certain way. Um, Mike had a sort of, um, like a tension in his solar plexus area and it's sort of it's sort of like tilts his pelvis forward a little bit and it's just a subtle thing but you know the physical work that i've learned how to do was you know if you could start picking up some physical qualities of a person it, it actually starts to inform a lot about them and um there's a toughness about someone who's holding their pelvis. I mean, you know, that, where they're holding their solar plexus like that, you know? It's someone who's, like, protecting something. And it, it makes you walk a certain way. And it, it sort of pulls down on your on your, your spine, your, your, your vocal cords in a certain way. And um, if you can just listen to that a little bit, you, you, start, to, you start to get something about the person. And, um, yeah, so for Mike, it was that, you know, Th these little things, I don't know what it is, but when I'm watching someone, I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, I want to, I want to try to assume some of that. I want to, but I also found when you start doing that, there's an inner, uh, quality that starts to come into view. Well, I think that's really interesting. So Okay, good. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I sometimes I start talking about this and people like literally glaze over. <laughs> They're like, uh, the pelvis? Okay. Uh. 
Mark, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your childhood. It sounds like your family uh, moved around a bit, like you were born in Wisconsin, but then you spent some time in, in Virginia and then California, right? That's right. I, I think your family was um, Catholic, but it sounds like there were some active seekers of religion in the household. Is that correct? Yes, it was a, a very uh, interesting household, religiously speaking. Um, my family was, you know, Italian Catholics, um, very uh, Catholic, um, my grandparents. Um, then my mom and her mother became um, evangelicals um, in the First Assembly of God, Pentecostal, um, Jimmy Swaggart uh, era. And my dad split off uh, completely um, in a whole nother direction uh, into the Baha'i faith. And so, you know, you're in the family and everyone's participating. And so I, I, was, I was introduced uh, to all three. Well, you actually were, um, you were saved by the televangelist Jimmy Swagger. Right? How, <laughs> I was. Like, how, was that first, like, was that on TV? No, no, no. You know, there was a first assembly of God um, in, in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin at the time. And uh, my grandmother's a member of it. And, you know, these different evangelical preachers would, would you know, sort of tour. Mm-hmm. And he was the star of, of that at that time. He was, you know, he was their, uh, you know, Elvis of, of <laughs> evangelical. And there was music. I mean, it was, it was a pretty lively experience. And so my grandmother, for her, her birthday, asked me to be saved. And I was like, saved from what? <laughs> I was just, I mean, I was, I'm like, I'm, I'm eight. I, you know, like, what am I? I haven't even gotten to do anything yet, really. And it was like, no, you were born. I mean, the second you come through the birth canal, you've sinned. You know, like that's, you know, don't you, that's the original sin. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, oh yeah, make makes sense to me. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, I'll yeah, I'll do whatever you want, Grandma. You know. So what? So what was that like? Did, did everyone sort of line up or get like? Yeah. So they bring the kids down. Like it was a special moment. We're like, okay, we're going to bring the children down, you know. And so I'm walking down there. I was like, I want to be saved. I mean, I don't want to go to hell. I certainly don't. You know, like that would suck. Um, and it's going to make my grandma happy. But man, this is so intense down here, and he's so sweaty, and everyone's like talking in different languages, and. He... <laughs> It was so I got down there and we're lined up and they're going, you know, each kid's getting prayed on from kid to kid and they're falling down or, you know, people are falling over and it wasn't happening. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not feeling it. And uh, then finally I was like, man, I'm not going to be the one who's like, doesn't get Jesus today. I'm like, (laughs) no, not me. -uh." And and I just kind of went with it, you know? So you fell over too? Yeah, and it was horrible. Did you feel bad? You feel like you were kind of Oh, God, I felt so ashamed. Yeah, Yeah. are you kidding me? I was like, I didn't feel anything. Like, I was supposed to, everyone here is like feeling so much, and I didn't feel anything. And, you know, I... Went back up there, and she's like, "How was it?" I was like, "Oh, it's really good, you know." She's like, "Did you feel?" It? I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I felt it, yeah." And uh, man, I mean, what that sets up in you 
at so early an age is so difficult for your relate you know your ongoing relationship just became this thing that was always there that I didn't understand now I do but I didn't then and it was just a, a, a just a you know just shameful feeling if you're just joining us our guest is actor Mark Ruffalo He's been nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his role in the movie Poor Things. We'll be back after a short break. This is Fresh Air. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This is Fresh Air. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Mark Ruffalo. His role in Poor Things has been nominated for an Oscar this year in the Best Supporting Actor category. So how did you get into acting? Like, Is that something you felt good at right away? Did it come easy naturally to you? No, no, no. I sucked. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I wanted to be an actor from very early on. I just didn't know what acting really was. It, I, you know, I, I had already found myself performing. I found myself, you know, doing skits from the Three Stooges. You know, doing slapstick, pretending I was Charlie Chaplin. Like I was doing all that. But there was no culture for that in, in you know, in my family. We, they we were paint house painters. Then they became construction painters. They were business people. They were very serious about making money. And 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 there wasn't a lot of room for this kind of uh, being a dreamer. Um, so it just wasn't anything that was a possibility to me. My senior year of high school, I dropped out of uh, wrestling. I was an avid wrestler, um, and I dropped out of wrestling to join the drama department because I'd, I'd walk by the drama department, and they'd all be wrestling on the ground just <laughs> like us, but it was like 10 girls and two guys. And, you know, I was like, why am I not doing that wrestling, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I um and I went in there and I was just thrilled by it uh how emotionally open it was and diverse and accepting and silly and you know everything you couldn't be as a as a young man you know and uh and one of the kids in the play broke his arm and my teacher Nancy Curtis who was like this great theater teacher in the middle of Virginia Beach, like really great, came to me and said, I want you to uh, replace Scott. And um, I said, you do? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. She's like, I think you could do it. And so I did it and I did the first scene and I was basically just ripping off Peter Falk and Columbo. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I did the first scene, and I got a big laugh. And I said, oh, my God, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. So it was like that feedback that you got from Yes, that, that relationship, you know. It was mm-hmm. like it was – it was just magical because not only did I get to laugh, but I knew, I knew the laugh was coming. I, I, I felt this communication with the audience, and it was telling me what it was asking for, and then it was responding with the laugh or the silence or whatever. And I went to my, I went to Nancy afterwards. I said. Um, Mrs. Curtis. Yes, Mark. Uh, do you think it's too late for me to like become an actor? I mean, I'm 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 already eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> she just was like, no, Mark. I don't think it's too late. Yes, I think you can become an actor. That sounds like a very vulnerable moment for you. Oh, it was horrible. I mean, I was a, I was a jock. I was a surfer. I was a skater. I was in a punk band. You know, like I was as much a dude as you could possibly be. But I also just had this, you know, this other thing that I wanted to try. Yeah. At some point, you decided to make a go of it, right? Like you must have been getting some encouragement from from her and then from other people to sort of get you to take a chance and to move to L.A. eventually? Well, my family moved to San Diego the day after I graduated from high school. And, uh, you know, I all my friends had, had uh, gotten into colleges. I didn't get into any colleges. I was a terrible student. I, I didn't even really apply to that many. And I ended up in San Diego, and I didn't have a plan. And, um, you know through a whole fantastical set of circumstances, I heard about the Stella Adler Conservatory in Los Angeles. That was like two hours away. Was Stella Adler teaching there when you were there? Yeah, yeah, she was there. But, you know, I had the good fortune of of walking in the, the school, and, um, and there was a woman there, Joanne Linville, who I recognized immediately as the Romulan commander of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> and... She said, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "I, I, I don't, I don't have an audition. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have any real training, but I, I want to spend my life uh, being an actor." And she said, "Well, darling, you've come to the right place." Hmm. And she really took me under her wing, and I wasn't good <laughs> in the beginning. And it took me a long time. You know who I was in class with who was amazing was Benicio Del Toro. Like literally the second he walked in, he was amazing. And I looked at him and was like, oh, my God, I'll never be that guy. And, um, yeah, it took me a long time and a lot of, uh, a lot of auditions before I started to figure out what I was doing. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with actor Mark Ruffalo. More after a break. This is Fresh Air. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV isn't just good, it's brilliant. With exceptional television from around the world. Their romances are more charming, their mysteries cozier, their noirs more gripping, and their comedies cleverer. More clever? Oh, you get it. Acorn TV is brilliant stories told brilliantly. 
Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. So, in a nutshell, Acorn TV. Brilliant. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high-traffic spikes. Visit bluehost.com. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. Uh, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. So, you know, your, your, your big break was the 2000 Kenneth Lonergan movie, You Can Count on Me which I watched again this week. It's such a terrific movie. Um, You play Terry. You've got a sister, Sammy, who's played by Laura Linney. And you guys were orphaned early in life. Your parents die in a car crash. So, like, what did you think of this character when you read the script? Like, he's often a jerk, but he's also, like, a pretty good guy. And... Uh, and tries to do the the right thing a lot, and he's just been damaged by this awful tragedy when he was a kid. Uh, I <laughs> he was so many people that I knew growing up, um, and he just felt so close to me. I I read it and I said, I I have to play this. There's there's no one else in the world that could play this. And I got to somehow convince Kenny of that, who at the time was really, you know, because of financial reasons and the way movies are made, he was, you know, he was dead set on getting a star to do it. And, uh, and I wasn't that. Um, but I just was so moved by it. And, and I felt I got to play this. There's no one else. So that, you, that can... you begged to get the role, huh? Basically, I mean, you know, Kenny was like, you know, I can't, you know, I can't use you. You know, you don't look anything like Laura Linney. She's the one we're going to cast. And I was just like, just let me come in for an audition, man. You know, we're like, I'm your I'm a good friend. And, you know, (laughs) and and he's like, fine, just don't (laughs) sick your manager on me. you know. And I was like, fine, I won't, you know. And so but he he said, "Okay, you, you know, the casting's closed. We're going to go to another actor on Monday. So just come to the production office and I'll I'll tape you myself and I'll and I'll read the sides with you." I was like, "Thank you." And um I went in there and I was man, I knew I had to be better than than if I even ever got the part. Uh and so I worked on it and I worked on it and I worked on it and I knew it and I went in there and I already knew I had nothing to lose, so I was so free. And we read the first scene. He's holding the camera in one hand and reading the, the lines in the other, right? And after the first scene, he's like, mm, that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> he was unhappy about that. Huh? Yeah. No, it wasn't like, it wasn't, a, it wasn't joy. <laughs> like, all right, let's read the next one. And I did that. I was like, Oh, that was really good. You'd be really good in this part. <laughs> and slowly but surely, I won him over. Well, he made a good decision casting you. <laughs> Thank it's God. Great performance. <laughs> oh, I don't know what would have happened to me if it, if I didn't get that role. Was well, so, like this is your big break, 
and you know you start getting asked to do a lot of roles but then like everything just you have to go and halt you've talked about this a, a bunch but you were diagnosed with a brain tumor which mm. turned out to be benign um you had to have this operation you had to deal with all these side effects you had to do all this rehabilitation i mean fortunately you were able to to really get through it but it took a while yeah. and like um, it just must have been i mean Obviously, it's a terrible thing to happen in your life, but just in terms of your career, like that must have been so discouraging because, like, here you are just breaking out, and then your body just shuts it all down. Like, did that experience make you forever like suspicious of success? Like, you might be good now, but you don't know what's coming around the corner. Oh, for sure. I, <laughs> you know, I, I to this day, I'm still like waiting for the piano to fall. But that was particularly difficult uh, because, you know, I was just starting a family. I, you know, I just bought a house based on this next big job that was coming, which was with M. Night Shyamalan in, in Signs, um, co-starring with Mel Gibson. I mean, it was it was just like this explosion from that movie. And I was the hot guy. And it was all before me. And it was everything that I'd ever dreamed of. And I'd reached it. I was 33. And um, it was gone like that. And I woke up and my face was paralyzed. And they didn't know if it was ever going to come back. And I couldn't even close my eye. And, and I looked terrible. And I have a baby at home. And my whole life was trying to get to that moment. And it seemed pretty much like it was over. And if I uh, and whatever feeling I had about God at that moment, let me tell you, we had a talking to. <laughs> like I couldn't be more pissed at anything than I was at that moment to whatever, if there is or if there isn't a deity, you know, which is probably a common feeling people have. Yeah, well, that, I was actually really interested in, in that particular aspect of this because, like, as we said, you know, you're, there's some spiritual searchers in your family, right? Mm -hmm. um, like your grandmother became an evangelist after being Catholic. Your father joined the Baha'i religion. Like, did this experience sort of alter the way you thought about spirituality or, like, even the soul or identity? when it all comes crashing down around you, you sort of, <laughs> you just become a believer for a moment, you know, <laughs> like, please, 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 please don't let the plane crash. Please, I'll go to church, you know, <laughs> you know, right. you know, you're, it's amazing how many people when the plane's going down, you see praying around you, you know, um, but uh, that was a real test of faith um, that I didn't really pass. <laughs> I was, you know, I was like, this can't be happening. But of course, it is happening and it was happening. But I'll tell you, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Really? I learned so much from it. And I had the good version of it where my face did come back. So, so I lost everything. I went through that experience, which made me grateful it made me, you know, it, it made me compassionate. It made me aware of loss. It made me aware of, you know, how fragile life is. It just gave me so many lessons. And at the end of the day, it didn't really cost me much except for the hearing in my left ear, which was the deal I made. Hey, 
dude, if you're really there, please don't leave my son fatherless. Just take my left ear. Cool? Yeah. <laughs> you got to be careful what deals you make. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I learned. <laughs> well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Mark Ruffalo, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Sam. It was a great interview. It was uh, really, really a great interview. I appreciate it. Mark Ruffalo speaking with Fresh Air producer Sam Brigger. He's nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for his performance in the film Poor Things. Tomorrow on Fresh Air, we remember Bob Edwards, Peabody Award-winning broadcast journalist and the voice credited with building NPR's Morning Edition and All Things Considered. He died on Saturday at the age of 76. I hope you can join us. To keep up with what's on the show and get highlights of our interviews, follow us on Instagram at NPR Fresh Air. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallet, Phyllis Myers, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krenzel, Heidi Simon, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Teresa Madden, Thea Challoner, Seth Kelly, and Susan Nakundi. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. Roberta Shorak directs the show. For Terry Gross, I'm Tanya Mosley. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Delta Airlines. When you think about it, half the trips the world takes are trips home. And those at Delta are travelers just like you. That's why they try to make you feel at home long before you even get there. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com NPR. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR.